I want you to turn with me in Matthew 18 as we're wrapping up this series, and we believe it's definitely been a spirit-led series. Matthew 18, 12 through 13 says, What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Can everyone say the one? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. So what did Jesus teach us? He said, go out after that one. And when we do that, heaven rejoices. He rejoices. You are a part of that one. You want, one time or another, either today you're that one or a few weeks ago you were that one. Year ago, 12 years ago for me, you were that one that Christ went after. And now he's saying to you, you know, go and do the same thing. And just look up here at, at Mark 3:13. Jesus went out on a mountainside, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. So this is what Jesus wants. He says, guys, come to you because I want you. Everybody say, he wants me. So once you're that one and you're brought in and you're here today, now he says, I want you. Come to me. And what does he want? He wants you to be with him, and he wants you to send you out to preach. Now, what an honor that is, that God would say, I want to be with you. That he would say to Vanessa, I want to be with you, just little old you. And he would say to me, I want to be with you, Joe, I want to hang out with you. And so this whole month, what we've been focusing on is going out after that one. And today there's, there's new people like Israel is sitting right next to our new visitors right here that last week they were that one. Can we give it up for them again? Amen? There, there's always going to be somebody in this church that is the one. There's always going to be somebody. And that's why every week there needs to be new testimonies. Charles, we've never even heard your testimony. I never even knew that. What a blessing it is. He was the one from nine months ago, and today he testified about it. And it felt like it was all brand new to me. Didn't it feel like that way to you guys? It was like, man, it was like he was just getting saved again right here in front of us. What a, what a joy it is. You know, that's what Jesus said. And I want to end today with the real explosion of God's spirit. This is what's on my heart. This is why we've gone past the announcements, because I want to end in prayer and seeking God. I want you just to follow this story along with me. I, I'm a real like history buff of uh, the wars that we fought in our nation, World War I and World War II. And uh, there's this great series out uh, from HBO called Band of Brothers. And they, they follow these men from Easy Company, the 101st Airborne Division. That means they get trained to jump out of planes. And, and uh, it's a good series, you know. And if you can handle the, the war violence, it's a, it's a good series. And it starts off with, you know, these guys going to basic training and, uh, you know, they're goofing off and they're just having fun. And you follow them throughout their entire journey. And uh, they parachute into Normandy. You know, this is uh, during the time of, you know, when Hitler was taking over all of Europe. And they parachute in and they start crossing, you know, all of German-held territory. And they keep knocking down one, you know, stronghold after another. And these guys were like the best of the best. That's why they would parachute right into the uh, enemy lines. And uh, one city they faced was in Belgium, and it was called Bastogne. And this city was, was like a little village, and they had to dig down into these cornfields, into these trenches. And, you know, those of you who have grown up like me without war, just watching this movie just, just blew me away of what these guys went through. I mean, they had to dig foxholes, two-man foxholes, 
And the, the strategy of the U.S. military at this time was plant these guys there, these crazy, radical, trained soldiers right there to distract uh, the German soldiers and to empty them of their artillery. So they literally were put there to have the artillery shot on them the entire time. And so, I mean, you would, you would see in the movie, and they would also have the real-life people who survived this tell the story, that you would, they would say you would be in a foxhole, and, and one artillery would hit here, your friend would, would just be blown to pieces. But you couldn't move, I mean, because they would be dropping those artilleries for hours, and you would have to sit there with his, you know, his body and his pieces all over you, and, and people would go crazy. And, and when the, 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 the shelling would stop, they would have to drag them out sometimes and get them off the front line and keep replacing them and replacing them. And they were there for months, and then it became winter. And they had only the equipment of the spring and the summer. And and as they turned to winter, they didn't have their gloves, and they didn't have all of the other equipment because they had gotten so far ahead of the the other military. And so they're freezing, and they're around this this artillery 24-7. And then eventually... They cut off the supplies. Another branch of the military cuts off the supplies. They're able to take Bastogne, and they keep moving past Belgium. And then they get into Germany, and when they get into Germany, they see the concentration camps. They had never seen the concentration camps. By this time, they've already been at war for about a year and a half, almost two years. And, and all they had seen was the enemy, artillery. Their worst battle was, was behind them, you know, at Bastogne. And then it shows them walking in to the concentration camps. Could you imagine what it would have been like? Seriously, this is not figuratively. Literally, you walking in and seeing human beings being treated like that, being starved being beaten, their dead bodies just just laid everywhere. And as they were helping these people, they were just giving them their rations, their little candy bars, their, their water. They began to talk about this is why we fight. They pointed to the Holocaust survivors, and they began to say to each other, this is why we went through Bastogne. Now, I want you to know why Metro Praise fights. We fight for the people that are around you that you may not see that are like this, but they're spiritually like this right now. The devil is their slave master, and the devil is a wicked slave master. He is taking their life. He he has destroyed their families. Alcohol, drugs, others just through their own career and education, things that might have been good to others, but it just consumed their life, became idols. And what's happening is your friends, the people around you, are headed for eternal hell. The devil's holocaust. They're headed for a place where they will burn and feel it for eternity, and their memory of this place, earth, will never go away. Why do we pray? Because we want to see God save souls. Why do we get up and go out on Saturdays? Because we want to see souls saved that are of eternal value in the kingdom of God. Why do we give to a church? So that souls can be saved. See, I want you to see today why we fight. Why we do what we do. Eddie Berto, stand up for us, please. Eddie Berto 
a friend of Adolfo. They used to party together. And Adolfo gets saved. And then as he's talking to his old friends, he goes to a party where he can, you know, somewhat be presentable as a Christian. They offer him a drink, and he doesn't want to drink. And Eddie Berto starts to notice something's different about him. So Adolfo invites Eddie Berto to our Bible class. And no one that day showed up for the 101. And so Eddie Berto came by himself, and we said, Adolfo, just go with him in the back. And at the end of that Bible class, his heart was so moved by God that he just said, I want to receive the Lord. And me and Ish, right here in this corner, prayed for Eddie Berto, and he accepted Christ. That day, he was the one. He was the one that Jesus said, go get them, boys. Amen. You may be seated. You see, he was that one. That's why we fight. Why did I start a church in my house when religious people tried to tell me not to even pastor? When they themselves had no pastoral degrees, I have a degree, yet they wanted to tell me how I was unqualified. Yet they themselves have never gone out in the streets and preached, and I, prior to that, had done it for nine and a half years, and yet they wanted to say I wasn't good enough. Why did your pastor have to go through the persecution of the religious community? Freddie Berto. That's why I fought. Why did I get up in the morning and begin to pray and point to the walls in my room when there was no one a part of our church? Because I knew that Eddie Berto was coming. Louisa, would you stand up for us, please? Louisa came from another church background but wasn't serving the Lord. And one day, she doesn't even really know how, but a newsletter went out to her that gave the address of our church. And so since we have a little website and everything, she found the information and was able to come to this church. She had just barely rededicated her life to the Lord, but when she came, she gave her heart fully to God. Her family began to get on fire for God. And that's why we fight for you. And now we're fighting for your husband. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. That's why we fight. That's why, that's why I get up to do what I do. That's why the church has been developed. That's why when, when those of you who came from Belmont, all those who came from Belmont with Ish and Robin, stand up. I was a youth pastor at another church, and I saw that young adults... We're not getting their needs met. And the Lord put it on my heart to go above and beyond my job description, which was just to have one service a week. And I began to have another service a week that was for college and older. And I remember the first time Ishmael came in, he was like a little sheep. He didn't know who this new pastor was. And he saw me playing and singing on the guitar. And I could just hear him say, oh, Jesus, help him. And, and at the end, at the end of the service, he came up to me and he said, may I play? And from that point forward, he's been my favorite worship leader. And then what happened is I began to meet the others that are here, Josh and his family and, and Ricky and Rachel and some I had known before. And we started this thing called One Passion. But when God told me to resign, we didn't split the church. I didn't, I didn't tell these people, you come with me and start another church like some have. I said to them, what we have done good here, you keep going. 
I said, you met me here at this church. You were not my fruit. You were already a part of this church. It's not right for me to ask you or to take you or to let you even to come. Stay here and do what you saw was good. And for the next year, those that were in charge let the ministry just begin to die. And their hearts began to grow cold. And some of them had compromise in their life. And they began to get away from what God had. And, and one day, I got a call from Mish, and he said, when's the service? What time? What place? And that next, that night, or I can't remember when, but this whole group showed up. And they said, Pastor, they've now shut down our ministry on Sunday nights. They shut it down. And that day, I looked into your guys' eyes. I, I saw some of you crying. And I said, from that day forward, I would be your pastor. I said, I would make a covenant for you. And I want to let you know, that's why I fight. That's why I fought for that year and a half. Before you guys ever showed up, I was fighting so that when you showed up here, there would be a place prepared for you. Now we fight together. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Lilani, go ahead and stand up for me, please. Why do we fight? Well, because when we used to rent our Methodist building, it was only for Sunday night. And we didn't have any opportunity to really use it any other day of the week. And so we came here and we started sharing this building with the Spanish church. And they were much bigger than us at that time. And they had Sunday morning. They had church like eight days a week, okay? And then it was like for 28 hours a day, too. And so we just like squeezed in every now and then a little service, okay? But then we just noticed, my wife and I, that every time we would drive out of the church, because our Sunday night, our services were Sunday night, there was always young people getting put up against police cars. And we said, we need to reach the youth. Friday nights was our date night. We had only been married just a little over a year. And we said, okay, let's do it. And we talked to some of our people in the church, and the church was so small that time, maybe about a dozen, there wasn't really anybody even to help us out. And so we, Nancy and I, who had been a part of a larger youth group, just went to the dollar store, and we went out, and we got dollar candy, and we just said, on Halloween, we'll stand right out here, we'll hand out candy, and we'll tell people to come into the church. And I can't even express to you how proud we were of this church. We would just open the door. We would fling open the door and say, look at this place. This is for you. And, like, the teenagers would look in and be like, okay, it looks like a storefront with chairs. But this... One young man came over. His name was Edwin. Was his name Edwin? And he took the little candy. He took the little flyer. And he was so excited that when he came, and there was only about five of them, they would just sit right here in the front row, that he had to go get Lilani and her sisters and all of their friends. And I remember the first day they walked in, they, it, it, this place could have had a 1,000 people. But to them, it was the most funnest place in the world. But there was only five. But to them, they just fell in love with it. They automatically started helping, making the hot chocolate, and they fell in love with it. And now two years later, Lilani loves the Lord. She started a school club at Prosser that meets every week with a dozen students that many of them don't know the Lord. But you know what? That day we stood out there on Halloween. Those young people threw eggs at us. But you know why we fought? You know why we kept praying? For Lilani. Amen. That's why we fight. That's why we got up in the morning. That's why we did what we did. That's why we went out and spent that money. Because we wanted Lilani. We, we knew that Lilani, the one, 
somebody would come and God would save their life and they would never be the same. Sue Ellen, go ahead and stand up, girl. Sue Ellen, the one. You know, the scripture says, if one of those sheep wander off, you've got to leave the other 99, the shepherd does, right, to go and get that one. Well, Sue Ellen was a part of the group at One Passion, but things began to happen in her life, and she left the Lord before I had even left. And she wandered off into the thickets <laughs> and into the valley. And one day she just came back into here. Someone had told her about this church. Do you remember who it was? Patty and Renee. People we know from the city told Sue Ellen about this church. And I remember the first day she came in, it was like my wife and I, we just got so excited. I mean, we felt just for a moment what I think Jesus feels like, just for a moment, like she's come back. And what an honor she chose here. And one of the things we just felt the Lord say was love her, but give her her space. Let her kind of move around in the barn for a little bit. Let her kind of stomp out her ground. Let her, let her feel what type of a barnyard this is. And we saw her passion grow and her heart grow. And you know what? We fought for you. Those nights that you were struggling with temptation, those, those, those fears that you were dealing with, those ex-boyfriends that still wanted you wouldn't let you go, we were fighting for you. This church was here for you. Thank you. Amen. Annette, go ahead and just stand up. I'll never forget when I first met you. It was, it was almost right by where you're standing right now. We did our play, and we were praying for people up at the altars, and she came just how she is now, just weeping. And she began to share her heart, and you began to tell me, I'm a backslider. I knew the Lord, and I went away, and my family, it, it, you know, it's, it's falling apart, and I just want Jesus, and the play has touched me. I want to go to heaven, and I remember praying with you. You were the one. That day, time stopped in, in heaven, and they looked at you, picked you up, and said, this is my lost sheep, Jesus said. Annette has come home, angels. Look at her, and then to see you out there yesterday with those same tears, now pointing to the friends of, of your young men, your, your children, and to say, I'm praying for you. Isn't that wonderful? That's why we fight. Amen. Thank you. And I could just go through here and we could just take the whole service. And, and each one of you are, are literally that special to my wife and I. And, you know, as the church grows, of course, some of us, we, we can't shake everybody's hand. That's why I love when we pray, we hold each other's hand. That's why we do discipleship, so that people can be a part of your life. But now what we need to see is that there's another place that we need to go. And I want you to see it's going to cost us something. So I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It's going to cost us something to go to this next level. Because if we want to do what Jesus did and what Paul did, we've got to be willing to pay the price. And I could go on with the Torres family and the Carrasco family, and if I have time, I will, but I want you to understand this. It cost us something. You're not here by accident. You see, there are some churches that, that seek people out and they compromise to make them feel comfortable. And once they're there, that's what they do. See, this church did not draw you in that way. We drew you in by prayer. And even though we've spoke some of the toughest words to you, rebuke and correction, you've known that it's been of God because it's come with the, 
the anointing of the Spirit, the power of God. And it's cost us something. Now, I don't know what it's cost other pastors. I know many pastors pay the same price. But let me just tell you what it cost Paul. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. Why Paul says he's out of his mind is because what he's going to do right now is he's going to show the Corinthian church what it really cost him to be their pastor. You see, some pastors, if you don't pay them their salary plus benefits and housing allowance, they don't want the deal. And I'm sorry to say that as a pastor on the inside track, I've been a part of those negotiations. I've seen them. Well, you're, you're giving me 52 plus housing, but I, you know what? I need a little bit more vacation time in that package. Then I'll go home and pray and see if the Lord is leading me here. The devil's a liar. He's nothing but a hireling. Just take your money and go home. That's what I would say to him. And that's the truth. There, there, there's this thing in American ministries right now where they send out these prerequisites before they come. And, and some of our favorite pastors have them. And you call them up. I would like so-and-so. You talk to their agent. And they send you out this list. And I'm telling you, many of them say things like this. You know, Bishop so-and-so will need to be picked up in a limo. In his hotel room, it will need to be the penthouse suite. He will need to have these beverages and these, these candies available for him, like he's Britney Spears. He will then expect a $10,000 minimum honorarium. He then wants to have a five-minute window to present his books and his tapes to the audience. And then, if you come back to us with the right date, we may consider coming to you. That is a hireling, people. I was with an apostle, George Tado, from uh, Portugal. He was with Lucia, Lester Summerall Ministry. He has over a 1,000 churches, over a million members across Portugal-speaking nations like Africa. One of them is Mozambique he's in. He said he called one of our famous pastors, and if I said their name, it would embarrass him, and I won't, because he rebuked him. And he said, I want you to come to our conference. And this is a man that I even respect dearly. He would not be even one you would think that would do that. And he sent him this list, and he looked at it, and he he called him up personally on the phone. And he says, you are wrong. You are full of the devil. And if you do not repent for sending this to me, I'm going to tell the whole entire conference who you are. He said the man then repented on the phone, broke and wept and said, I do not know what has become of me. Forgive me. We need to stop this junk in America. Are you listening to me? There's nothing wrong with getting a plane ride to where we're preaching, to have nice food when we get there. But this idea that pastors are coming so that you can serve them is so far-fetched, my friends. It's out of the biblical perspective of what we're here to do. It costs true preachers something to do what they do. It costs them this. Look at what Paul is saying, because now he says, I'm out of my mind, because I'm going to tell you what it cost me. I am more. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. You know what being flogged is, right? That's being whipped like how Jesus was whipped. 39 lashes. He had that. Exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jew the 40 lashes minus one. He was whipped Five times with 39 lashes. You saw the passion of the Christ. You all saw that? You saw when they were flipping him over, whipping him on his chest, whipping him on his leg? Paul went through that five times. Five times. Could you imagine if Paul took off his shirt and showed you the scars on his body? Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. You know why? Because he kept, he kept traveling by ship. I spent a night and a day in the open sea because one of the shipwrecks, he was stranded. He was holding on to a log. He says, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the cities. Anybody getting the key word right here? What is that word? Danger. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. You know, we all like to sing, blessed in the city. Blessed. And look what he say. Danger in the city. Danger in the field. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Jesus, help us, Paul. Besides everything else. Now, look what he says. I've gone through all this. Let me tell you what Paul said. This is the hardest part for him. I face daily the pressure. The pressure. How many know pressure on your job? He says, I daily face the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Out of all the physical beatings he was getting, out of all the things he was going through, he was even saying what was harder to face and all that was the pressure. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? He's saying, I'm tempted too. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now look at this guy. The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Artetus had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. And as Paul continues to go through, this is what he says. I prayed for the Lord to take this from me. He said, Lord, take this from me. You know, he had a thorn in his flesh. He said, Lord, take this from me. You know what Jesus said to him? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. He's not saying he's struggling with sin. He's not saying this was poverty because of ignorance. He is saying preaching the gospel cost him something. It cost him the abuse of people. It cost him the pressure of the church. But God brought him through it all. And because Paul was willing to go through that, he wrote more of the New Testament, established the churches. He wrote what we know today as the epistles of how to build a church. And he to us is our apostle. He is our leader. But that's what he went through. What did I go through? little egg being thrown at me. It's hardly anything now when I put it up to that, right? What have you gone through? What has it cost you? What? You, you didn't get to sleep in yesterday? Come on. You, got, you, you know, you're living off of 90% as opposed to 10%, 100% because you give your tithe. Can you understand why we fight? Is for the people that are around us, and it's worth it for them. And we are receiving an eternal award, uh, an award in glory. That's why we fight. I want you to look at why Paul did all that he did. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. And then we're just going to spend some time in prayer and take the uh, offering up at the end. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Once again, we're not talking about needlessly suffering or suffering things that God has delivered us from. And as you learn Paul's life, Paul did prosper at many times. But what he was saying is these were times I didn't prosper. 
These were times I started with nothing. And that's what blows my mind because, you know, I study the lives of great preachers. And it seems like, you know, when they get to a certain pinnacle, so many of them want all of us to be at their level right now and get into this whole prosperity message. But they seem to neglect that for years themselves they they were struggling, you know. Like Bishop T.D. Jakes was on food stamps. You understand? You know, Joyce Myers, the same thing. And I think we ought to be very careful when we look at their lives and say, you know, the beginning part was insignificant. You know, this was the bad part, and now God bless them, and this is the good part. No, God doesn't look at it that way. God says, no, this, is the, this was all good. T.D. Jakes, when you were on food stamps, I was, pr- I was proud of you. And I was proud that you were preaching and that you were teaching the Word of God. Woman, thou art loose. Uh, you know, I was at the conference in New Orleans, and Woman Thou Art Loose came from his Bible study with women with a few people. Joyce Meyer, some of the biggest names, you know, and I, I appreciate these people's ministries, and, and I can talk about them like this, and, and they came from nothing. Joyce Myers had a home Bible study kicked out of her church because she kept teaching the men as well as the women. They didn't think she had the right to do that. And so I think when we see their ministries, you know, $40 million a year ministries, what we have to do is be very careful to understand that, that, that if you would have met Joyce Myers in that home Bible study, for you to have said she was worthless to God because at that time she wasn't like Kenneth Copeland or somebody else that was big would have been just totally wrong. Are you understanding? And that's what Paul is teaching here because these apostles were coming into his church and they were because he couldn't be in every church at the same time. And they were trying to trick these new disciples to following them. And he was saying, I'm out of my mind to tell you this, but I'm going to let you know this is what I've gone through for you guys. They never went through that. They just want to come up here and act like it's all easy, easy breezy. And it's not. And here's why he did it. Look at Second Corinthians chapter one. Look why Paul did all this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. This is the beginning of the letter. He tells the troubles later. But look at how he says that. He comforts us in all of our troubles. So no matter what what Paul went through, he was never not at peace. He didn't let the worry consume him. He followed the commands of the Lord, and he was at comfort so that we, look at this, the Father who of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow in, over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Amen. Come on, somebody. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. He never got hopeless because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, because they were being persecuted, you shall also share in our comfort. Isn't that something? So out of the little sufferings that Metro praised, has gone through, God brought me comfort. He brought me peace. In the middle of those nights when I felt that I didn't know how I was going to start a church, I never went to bed with anxiety. I never woke up with fear. God kept me every day. I've never had to beg for bread. He comforted me and prospered me. And you know what? He brought us through. And as you came through here, many of you, we had to pray for you, seek God for you. And now you're starting to be comforted with that same comfort but here's the thing as you start reaching out to others you you may suffer a little bit 
you may now be put in a place where your uh, faith is tested. And so now the same comfort that you receive from us, this church, through your trials, everybody getting this, now when someone you're discipling, someone you're reaching out to is suffering, you will comfort them with that same comfort. Because how did you, how were you received into this fellowship with open arms into our homes? You were prayed for. People got involved in your lives. People took on the calls, uh, took the calls that you would give and, and, and heard your prayers of tears and, and worked with you, seeing God sanctify you. Now it's your turn to go out and find another. Is everybody with me? Would you all stand with me to your feet today? Amen. The one. This is why we fight. This is why we fight. Jesus, I pray today, Lord, in these next few moments as we give our time to prayer, that as we end this series, that I believe that was spirit-led, that, Lord, we will just thank you, first of all, for all you've done, and then go after you with everything we have in our hearts. So right now, would you just start off by just thanking God for salvation and all the good that he's done. Ben, would you just begin to come up here as well? Oh, Father God, we thank you for all the souls that are saved in this ministry. All the souls that came here, God, and have been fed. We thank you for our families. I thank you for the Carrasco family that is saved today. The Torres family, Lord, that their children are saved, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for the Rodriguez family, Jesus, the Pinto family. God, I thank you for the Blumfelt family, Lord. God, I thank you today, God, for a night on her family, Jesus. God, all the families that are represented here, God, I thank you, God, for the Blig family, Lord. We thank you today. Let's pray. Let's play that song um, by Christy Northrup. Father God, Jesus, Jesus. God, come on, just keep your hands raised and just thank him a few more minutes. Jesus, we just thank you. Come on, I thank you for the visitors that you brought here, that you're going to continue to bring here. I thank you, God, for the Torres family reaching out, God, to their, on their job at that drug rehab, Lord. I thank you that we've already seen some young people get saved, some men get saved as a result of that. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Come on, thank, the God, thank God for the youth group. A lot of you have your teenagers that go to the youth group. Let's not take that for, for, for granted today. Oh, God, we just thank you, Lord, for the youth group. We thank you, Lord, for youth that come and worship you, that know you. Jesus, we thank you for the children's ministry, God. God, we thank you for being debt-free on that facility, Lord, that opens up the doors, God, to reach, God, literally hundreds of youth and teenagers and children back there. Lord, thank you for our children hearing the gospel, feeling the love. Oh, we thank you, Lord. 